Welcome, everybody, to episode 43 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Humphrey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Bo Richards. Now, the reason that you are hearing me and not Bo do the intro is because we initially started talking about how fatigued we are with political conversation, but then, of course, we launched right into a political conversation. Please join us now for this conversation already in progress. Did you catch the most recent uh, Jordan B. Peterson podcast with Andrew Doyle? One of the things that stood out to me was Doyle was talking about legislation that's recently passed in Scotland. Okay. It's the most frightening shit ever. Basically, you can be arrested for hate speech if someone else perceives it that way. Hmm. So it's, it's literally as loose as, I felt you said something hateful, so you get to sit in handcuffs for a while. Wow. I know that the laws, yeah. there's a similar style of law in Britain itself. I assume it must be different yeah. in Scotland, but in Britain they have, I forget how they break it down, but they have like hate crime incidences that are criminal and then non-criminal hate incidents. Right, the non-crime. And yeah. that's essentially like, I felt that you did something, but we can't really, the police aren't able to really like show that there was a crime involved. Um and so, but it still goes on your record. But it goes on the record. So, like, if you apply for a job, you can see it. Um, I know that exactly. that was a thing, which is crazy. Like, I, I believe I heard an example of something like if I say, like, I think you're stupid and you happen to be not white, person of color or part Indian, Native American, whatever, you could make the claim that you think I'm dumb because I'm an Indian. Or because I'm black or because I'm my mom was Portuguese or, you know, my mother was Jewish or I have Native American ancestors. And then like that goes against me. Um, Now, I don't know if that was a hyperbolic example that I remember hearing, but based on how I understood stuff to work, that would seem to me to be reasonable because it's all about how you feel about what I say. Yeah. From from what I've heard, that sounds absolutely accurate and not hyperbolic at all. And that's that's Um, scary. Yeah. Um, without, you know, going down the slippery, committing the slippery slope fallacy there, you know, it, I don't want to extrapolate too far with it and take too many leaps, but I think that having the ability for that sort of thing to occur is not good. That's the sort of thing that should not be allowed by the public. Um, I don't like a lot of public control, as you know, but, uh, people should not be able to be charged criminally or even just have notes on their file, whatever the fuck that means, because they said mean things that other people didn't like. Like, that's fundamentally against... I mean, you know, Britain doesn't have free speech laws like we do. Like, they don't have... They're, they're, they don't have the equivalent of a First Amendment like we do, and neither does Canada, for that matter. And I, my assumption is that neither does Scotland. Um, and I believe uh, Ireland and Wales are all slightly different, but all tied under UK. Um so the, this is commonplace for them, unfortunately, but it, it's still like, it's not correct. Like you can't base what people say on how everyone else is going to feel about it. That isn't how a society functions because then no one's going to say anything or, or the people who are going to say something are the ones who are most likely to abuse that. 
right? And yeah. we you also, have, yeah, and on top of that, like, and this is the interesting thing that I have, one of the interesting arguments with freedom of speech is that it was literally created as a protection towards minority groups. Like that was the actual point of the First Amendment. One of the points is that it's so that in most of the fights throughout history, as I understand American history, it, regarding freedom of speech have been to protect minority rights. It's been to protect the rights of, you know, indigenous and, and, and black communities and Asian communities and those kinds of things. So that they have a right to say and not get shut down by uh, white majorities because the U.S. is 76 or 75 percent white. So it's definitely a vast majority. There's 200 and some odd million whites in this country. Um, and so now we have this issue and also predominantly white places, but we have, you know, these issues of freedom of speech where it's like freedom of speech. That's what white conservatives want. And it's like, no, it's, we want freedom of speech so that everyone can say what's on their mind so that minorities have a voice. And so that I, as a non-minority in, in, in basically every way, um, also has a voice so that I, I'm not forced to censor myself because someone might be offended by what I say. Like, that law is going to eliminate comedians that could easily eliminate the entirety of the comedic profession in Scotland. Oh, for sure. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And that's not even yeah. a this, yeah, I said tip. Like that's not even a stretch. It's like I could just go to a comedy club in Scotland and be offended by everyone. No more comics. You make one yep. fat joke, one your mama joke, one joke that's slightly edgy, oh. one joke about gays, like whatever. Well, it's already happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are, are self-censoring, admittedly. Um, the the amount of uh, relationships amongst comedians that have dissolved because of this and, you know, everywhere else, of course, but comedians specifically, Andrew Doyle was talking about that. Um, and even to the point of, you know, in Canada, and I think it happened in the UK as well, to be fined you know, a large sum of money, like 13 grand, <laughs> because someone chose to claim that they were offended. So that's like it's it's stealing thirteen thousand yeah. dollars for nothing. Um, I think what 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 baffles me the most is that we are now able to have access to more information than ever, ever, ever. You know the whole internet thing, all the access or information at our fingertips. This is nothing new. This has been written about uh, extensively, particularly when. Communism was trying to get a foothold. Mm -hmm. So these are not new topics. The information is available and incredibly easy to get access to. And yet we're still losing these principles. So people forget their history. It's, it's not like it's hard to find, right? Yeah. These historical accounts of, of what happens when we do stuff like this. So the information's all out there. Nobody's looking for it. And thus they are repeating the same mistakes of history. And so, so few people are even speaking up about it. it. It's, I would be most curious, I think, to speak to a, a psychologist or psychiatrist about the, you know, what is it about the human psyche that allows this to happen? You know, and there's going to be a lot of nuance with, you know, the, the newfound power 
that the yeah. you know the woke agenda has discovered for itself and as they discover power they're going to keep pushing as much as they can which is exactly what they're doing so why is it that so many people are falling in line you know all those details it's I'm very curious as to how the fuck this is even possible. Yeah. And and happening currently as we speak, you know, the 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 frog is very slowly being boiled and we're in there with them. No true and I mean we've talked about this a bit before but like we saw this with Republicans in the 70s up through now. Like they've been, there's been a slow power creep amongst Republicans and in the Senate yeah. and the House and in politics and um it is kind of the same thing. Uh my guess would be one it's power um you know the the idea that power corrupts obviously is going to be an issue and um you know if we poke a bit at the woke ideology for a second um one of the foundational like the core tenets that they focus on in under woke ideology whatever you want to call it beneath so whether you want to break it down to neo marxism or cultural marxism which depending on who you ask doesn't actually exist though it does um whether it's just straight up marx leninism whether it's maoism whether it's critical race theory critical theory postmodernism like all those because they're all intertwined and they all intersect and they all form this woke ideology um they all focus on power. It's all a power focus. Like you look at any Marxist yeah. doctrine, you look at any postmodern doctrine, post-structuralist doctrine, um, post-colonial, all, all of it, critical race theory, it's all power distribution and power inequity. There, there are other yep. things, of course, but every single thing is one of the core tenets of it is the focus on power. Um and in particular, with all of these, it's 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 and race. That's really where the Marxist doctrine changes into other things. Of course, is Marx was much more concerned with social strata and uh, class class based issues versus race based issue, race based issues. But um, it's power, and so I, I think that that's a big part of it. Is that there's such a focus on power that um, that's what you that's what people are looking for, and the woke aren't unique in that. Like I said, that's what Republicans have been doing for 50 years and they'll continue to do. Um, you know, it's no surprise to anybody that a large percentage or at least some of the most powerful, um, you know, conservative politicians are power hungry. You know, and some, so, like, and crazy, crazy. So some of the some of the most powerful people in the world um, are conservative and power hungry. You, you look at. CEOs of oil companies, which are generally conservative, and they fight against liberal policies to save the uh, the environment and things, and they're all very conservative and very powerful, and they do very corrupt things. Um, so I think that's the first thing: is it's the power that corrupts. And I think the second thing, and you see this everywhere. Um, this happens in almost every walk of life, and I probably could think of multiple examples over over my own life where I've seen this. Um, there's a cyclical nature, which I think is the uh, things that occur. And I think that's where the phrase history repeats itself comes into play. And I don't think it's actually true that history does technically repeat itself. I think what happens is people learn a lesson and this is, I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit, but it reminds me of that. Um, what's that hard men create, uh, soft lives, soft lives, create soft men. How does that saying go? Um, Hard men create easy times, easy times create soft men, soft men create hard times. That's right. Yeah. So th I think those things are intertwined. 
Like I I think that's the issue is that um, you go through a hard period, you learn from the mistake, and then as time goes by, things get easy. And it isn't so much that you forget about the hard times, like you still remember them, but as they become a distant memory, um, it's less of a concern. Like as an example, no one's actually concerned about Nazism right now. People may make a stink about yeah. white supremacy and stuff, but no, in, in the rise of like hate crimes from whites towards people of color. Um, and But those, that's separate from like the Nazism that people were afraid of in the 40s, right? Um, because it's not a thing. And so people, but people know it's still bad. And so you you go through this period of you, you, you have a long time frame away from something and then you slowly start to increase what it is you're doing that, 10 years ago would have been wrong. Um, I remember this, this happens all the time. And the, the example that comes to mind, that's a real world one is uh, um, that's closer to me is I was in a fraternity in college and this, I this happened th- for a lot of fraternities. They get shut down or on probation for hazing, whatever the hazing would be, they'd get in trouble by the college. And then for like a couple of years, they wouldn't haze at all, or they'd be very minimal or because a lot of basically everything you do with freshmen is hazing. If you make them study, it's hazing unless people who are not freshmen show up because you're technically forcing freshmen to do things. So there's like some things you, you do that are hazing that probably shouldn't be considered, but they will be very careful to not haze for like two or three years. And then after three or four years, maybe five, maybe the people who weren't hazed when they were freshmen leave college, a little bit of hazing will start again. And then it's not so bad. And then the next class will do a little bit more hazing and then a little bit more. And then within 10 years, they've been on probation again for hazing. And they didn't forget that, I, that hazing occurred. I think that's a great example. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, um, align that with what you're saying about Nazism. Um, it's the people that experienced it personally are gone. Like nowadays, yeah. not a whole lot of people are still alive that were around for World War II. And like you said, when the uh, students that didn't get hazed graduate, so they're effectively out of the system, yeah. then it, it comes back up. Yeah, exactly. So as soon as whoever experienced it personally lived the lesson, learned the lesson, once they're gone, it becomes a problem. Again. Yeah, very true. And so I, I think that um, <clears throat> that's, that's in part what you see is that you see this... Uh, this shift of a bunch of people like we haven't had a very intense focus on war for almost two decades. Like the early two thousands, there was a very intense focus on war after nine 11, but that receded like probably I would say personally, by the time I went to college in 2006, though there are people who are closer to the military that might argue maybe to 2010. And so it's been at least 10 years, right? And so you, as you see these things move away, people start to take for granted the freedoms that we fight for, mm-hmm. you know, and um, like as, as an example, and you, I think you saw that in the nineties and the eighties after Vietnam. Enough time had passed in the 60s and early 70s where a shit ton of people not only went over to Vietnam and died, um, but they shouldn't have been there. They probably didn't feel like they should have been there. Most of them were drafted. And it was a war we should obviously, I think most people agree we should not have been involved in, but they went over anyways to fight for their country. Then they come home and they're shit on by Americans who didn't want them there. And like they didn't do anything wrong. They were literally drafted to go. 
So they don't really have a choice if they don't want to commit a, an act like a federal offense, a federal felony. And like that really fucked with people. And then 20 years later, like, what do you see? You start to see a lot of the um, the stuff that we're talking about now started manifesting in the 80s in schools, in colleges. That's when you start to see a lot of this stuff manifest in the humanities in college. And and I don't I'm not claiming that there is a correlation between those things. I would not be shocked if there was, though, because enough time had passed where there was this major war where the country was really divided and fucked up over this issue had passed. And now they kind of not necessarily forget, but it's so distant that it's like we can now try and do things. We, we, we have it easy so we can try and push the boundaries. And fair enough for pushing boundaries. Boundaries need to be pushed. But what I think is going to happen is I, either it's going to collapse on itself, which I think is most likely, or we're going to go through a period of either fairly intense global or civil war um, that causes it to come crumbling down. And by it, I mean, not only the, the woke ideology, but also I think our political system itself. I, I actually think that our political system will, will fail as a result of whatever's going to come from the current culture war we're dealing with. I, I don't think that our political system as it stands is tenable given the polarity in it um, because Republicans aren't doing anything near as I can tell to help the problem. Right. Well, I mean, I can, to some extent, what is it that they're supposed to do other than people like, you know, fucking Mitch McConnell and stuff, just refusing to cooperate with Democrats based on principle, you know, fuck that guy. But the more that, you know, you and I have had these conversations and looked into this type of stuff, the more I'm seeing that the Republicans uh, on the whole are way fucking more reasonable. I think, you know, yeah. the people that are making the most sense are like center, right? Yeah, no, I, you know, and, and I would agree with that the concerns with like, yeah. Uh, continue. Finish your thought. I was going to say, like, the, the old school concerns of, um, like, gay marriage and things like that, they're just not that big a deal to the current, you know, crop of Republicans, if you will. At least the, you know, people that are, are in our per peer group, not the, the super old people that are in politics. But just the general sense of what is important to the Republican Party. Yeah. It's moving away from those old traditional, you know, we'll say biblical things into um, personal freedoms, yeah. which I agree with. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't know what the Republican Party is supposed to do. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it seems like the trouble is really emanating from the far left. And the center left is letting it fucking happen. Yes, that I would agree and, with that last part. Yes, I yeah. I probably won't articulate this well, but I'm going to try. I So I think that first off, what the Republicans are not doing it, or what how they approach and, and defend or attack or defend the claims against them as a whole or individually is in part part of the problem. So the, the narrative as it stands is that there's a moral authority and that moral authority is extremely left-leaning. So basically everything that's not that far left is immoral. But you can be kind of left and be moral, but you're most likely white and you need to be an ally um, and, you know, atone for sins and all that stuff. That's okay. And then everything else, everyone else is racist and xenophobic and homophobic and trans and fatphobic and 
conservative and on the right. And like that, that's, that's a big part of the narrative. And what does the right do? What do actual conservatives, whether they're white or black or Hispanic or Asian or whatever, what do they do? They, they respond with equally vitriolic rhetoric. Like that's the, that, that, that actually, I would lay that at the blame of, I would lay that at the feet of Republicans. Like we've talked about this a little bit before, but since, I don't know, like the actual civil rights act, I believe that consistently in every single election, whether it's in every single national election for anything, um, African-Americans have voted 90% or greater Democrat for almost 80, for like 70 years or what, 60 years. Mathematically, it's impossible that 90% of one race of people are just somehow all liberal leaning. Like temperamentally, that's impossible mathematically. And so there has to be a, there's a problem. And the problem is the message that's being sold. The Republicans have been billed as the racist party for a long time. And they've never challenged that narrative. And like, so that's the other thing I would lay at their feet is like, look, instead of hitting back and saying like, I'm not stupid, you're stupid. Like whatever you say bounces off, I'm rubber, you're glue, like fuck you. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that and playing the child game and saying that, you know, and just hurling the insults and saying like, fuck you, you know, I know what I'm talking about. You don't, you're a a crazy person, like whatever the, the case may be. They need to be spreading a message of what can we do to help minority voters. And I'm not going to stand here and say that I agree with all of the all conservative values, whatever those are, because I don't. Um, I'm like I said, I, I've always been much more of a left leaner, and I'm center center left, I think at, at best. But that doesn't mean that I don't think the Republicans shouldn't try and tailor their message towards colored voters, because they should, because those voters are also Americans and they're, they're, you know, conservative Americans. Like they should point, they should try and find those people and explain to them what they have to offer because no reasonable black or brown individual is going to be like, yeah, I'm just going to vote conservative if they're the racist party. Like most people aren't going to follow that even if they actually like the policies because they're going to feel like, well, you don't really like me as a person. And, and I actually don't think that that's true for most, even the old white conservatives, you know, in power, the Mitch McConnell's and the stuff. I actually am not even convinced that a lot of them are actually racist. I don't know. I don't know them well enough and I don't follow them and don't care. But it seems unlikely to me that given our uh, where we are today, regardless of what people say about how racism is everywhere and it's worse than it's ever been, which is, I think, emphatically false. Um, it's not clear to me that like the right is just populated with a bunch of racists that need to die so we can get in a bunch of young, woke Republicans. Like, I don't, what I think it is, is people just don't like to change and they don't, they're not willing to change the narrative on how they court voters and, and then on top of that, I think that the other problem is that they, Republicans in particular, I think correctly, but uh, from a number standpoint, are trying to target the largest demographic they can, which is suburban white people. Yeah, Like there's so many more white people than everyone else that if you target, like that's partly how Trump won in 2016 is that he, he targeted all of the Midwest, which is just average blue collar whites. And there's so much more of them than everyone else that if he can get those voters, he'll win. 
Yeah, it's not exactly a high level political strategy. No, no, it's, it, it's that's pretty basic. It's like, stupid yeah. easy, and you know there are all there were all these you know political arguments like oh if you you know if you can get the black and brown vote you'll win, and it's like that's actually not true at all. Like, they're, they're, statistically speaking, you can actually just completely win a presidential race with no votes from people of color. You can just do that. It, I mean, the odds of that actually occurring are pretty slim. I don't know how that would work mathematically, but like it is technically possible, and so like it actually isn't needed. But if you want to if you want to bring together the largest number of Americans with the most diverse set of ideas and beliefs, you want to target people of color. Like you want that because you want black conservatives and Asian conservatives and Hispanic conservatives and you want white conservatives and you want white centrists and white liberals to like, I mean, you want to try and get as many people as you can to sit behind you and like that's not a message that they're doing and they still manage to keep a lot of power well, and i think a lot of that's because they've been doing power grabs within the senate and the in the house to to keep power um but and because i think the democrats have kind of fucked up what they've been their messaging as well um over the last you know 50 years too like they they haven't been perfect um there have you ever seen the newsroom it's a TV show. Um, no, it, I think it's still running. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but it has. A, Is that the one that that uh, monologue that um, uh, what was that? Was that Jeff Bridges? Jeff Daniels. Yeah, it's or, the monologue. Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Thank you. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, I definitely saw that a bunch of times. So fucking amazing. The great monologue. It's actually the it's the monologue from the first episode of the show, and it's like it's like yeah. the first fifteen minutes in. Um, yeah. But and he basically is you know if, if Democrats are so smart how so smart how come they lose fucking always. And he cusses a couple times in the middle, but he's like, how come they, they lose all the fucking time? And because Democrats always pride themselves on being, you know, they're, they're the bourgeois, like they're the ones who are edu- well-educated and, and smart. And they have these liberal progressive policies and they like everybody and they're about unity and they want to bring everyone together and do what's best for the little guy and all this shit. And then they, they still lose in politics. Why? And it's because they're messaging. It's because they promise all this shit and they never deliver. Like they don't actually deliver on shit. But at least they're not the racist yeah. party. Like, I think that that's kind of like the calling card of the Democrats is it's like, you know, we can't get anything done, but at least we're not racist. And then the Republicans are like, they don't say anything about being racist, but they just try and get shit done in whatever way that they can. And often that's corrupt, but or in ways people don't actually like because they're very conservative. And so they tend to do con- things that a lot of people are like, that's a little bit too conservative for my taste. Um so you have these like completely these messages that are both just shit where it's like which pile of steamy shit do you want this year yeah <laughs> well and i i think that for for the vast majority of politicians um you know it's certainly not altruistic yeah they will make whatever face noises that they need to in order to get you to vote for them so they can do what they want to do and so they can get their donors giving them more money and, and all the rest of the, the perks that come with being a successful politician. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of Republican messaging, I really don't know what they could do at this point, because it seems that the, you know, the, the we'll call it the woke party. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this before, that they, they have nothing to do with logic or reason or, you know, effective discourse. None of that matters to them at all mm-hmm. they'll redefine a word on the spot just to to make their case so trying to appeal to a reasonable argument say you know if you're 
trying to make uh, create a message from the right, um, it'll quite literally fall on deaf ears. And it's not necessarily new that you're, you know, the opposing party doesn't want to listen to you. But I think the extremity of it, the extreme nature of it currently is at a new high, mm-hmm. you know, to for people to seriously be debating two plus two equaling four. Are you fucking kidding me? But it really happened. Yeah. Twice and separately, like six or yeah, eight months apart. Exactly. And it's still being taught so, in Seattle school districts. Is it really? Questioning that is still being taught in Seattle in the Seattle school district, as far as I'm aware. Unfucking because that's where that's where so that whole it, thing came from was the Seattle school district. Yeah. Yep. So if these are the people that you're trying to communicate with, and they've made it absolutely clear that you can't, they're they're not going to listen. You're not going to have a common language that you can use to transmit ideas, and if that breaks down. The, literally, that's the only tool you've got to try and share information, yep. which is going to lead to conflict. Yep. That's the only other option, which is, is you know, it's what we're seeing now. Um, but I don't. Uh, all of which is to say, I don't think a message exists that could come from the right that would speak to the left. No, the, and the, at least not the woke left. No, and, and that's part of the problem too. And uh, I think you're seeing a little bit of it with. Um, What's it like the walk away campaign and all that? Like uh, you could even include like the red pill campaign as well. Like people who identified as left and um, had their eyes kind of or or maybe even were far left and like fully into like the social justice ideology and then sort of had like their aha moment and then was like, well, you yeah. know, fuck this. And then they, they either still kind of stayed left, but moved away. Or in a lot of cases, like Ben Rubin is an uh, Dave Rubin, sorry, as an example, he was, you know, a progressive lefty for quite some time. And, um, and then, you know, he's nowadays, he's very much, uh, uh, con- very conservative. He's like, his views have shifted, like very conservative. Um, I actually yeah. can't, I have a hard time listening to him nowadays. Cause he's, he's kind of gotten a little bit more radical than I would have liked, but, um, too much along the lines of Candace Owens and and how he talks and yeah. kind of clickbaity and uh, sh- theatrical and attempting to elicit like it's kind of a response. He's like he's saying things to create responses more so than trying to give honest opinions about things. Sometimes I think and um, but I agree. It it, it feeds the tribalism. Yeah, which is and that, that's the problem, right? And so like it's good to make a living on like um, I suppose, but it also uh, it also feeds the problem. Um, Dave Chappelle in one of his latest specials he actually called out Candace Owens and he uh, um, he basically was like fuck you you know he called her like an articulate idiot and then he later on on a podcast of his um, was like do I need to apologize for like saying mean things about her and his podcast co-hosts were like no not at all like fuck that and he's like yeah I'm not gonna basically he's like I'm not gonna apologize I don't give a fuck like and then he's like, well, I think about, I'll apologize for calling you articulate. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Love Dave. <laughs> I, you know, I've heard her talk before a little bit and there's some things that she says where I'm like, okay, like I agree with this. Like with most people, like I hear stuff and I'm like, that's not unreasonable. And then I hear some other things and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you sound like a bottom feeder. Like you're literally just saying shit to create consternation so that you can make money. And it doesn't actually solve any problems. And I don't like that. Whether yep. that and like that that's what you know the the woke narrative actually does all the time with control of the media, because they have that, 
is they just say shit to cause political to cause problems and then in the confusion not only do they make money but their message gets across and it's like i don't like that on either side it's bullshit um yeah i'm not really sure what can be done um I, Dan Crenshaw did something that I thought was very interesting. Um, I don't know anything about the, there's like a current issue that's obviously completely split politically down the middle regarding voter ID laws somewhere. I think it's in Georgia. And, um, mm. you know, he's been talking about it and I haven't really been listening much to what anyone says because it, it doesn't affect me. So I don't care. And because uh, <laughs> I, I have an ID and I can go up to the local city hall and vote like i don't you know whatever um though obviously it's an important issue and it's going to be important to people who have troubles with this and so like i get the importance of it but i don't personally care that much and apparently the narrative is that from the left it's that all these restrictions are suppressive and it's you know jim crow 2.0 and it's you know gonna stop a bunch of people of color from being able to vote and it's racist and all this and then the rights like no it's not we just want people to have ids so they can vote and do other things and whatever and who knows what's actually true and so he put up this video these two videos of um stacy abrams who's a lady from georgia and she's like an activist mm -hmm. a, a black activist yeah. and um one was from like two days ago and one was from like a couple of years ago and the one from a couple of years ago was her talking about how voter suppression, uh, these voter laws are really bad and voter suppression stuff is, is all terrible. And then one from a couple of days ago is her saying that no one has ever made the argument that this sort of thing is about voter suppression and whatnot. Um, <laughs> and People forget we record things. And he just like ran them back and <laughs> forth. On, and I was like, see, it, but the so I was like, okay, I like that because people will do this shit like they'll actively lie i highly doubt she forgot that she said that considering what it was about i highly doubt it and so like it's obvious that to me assuming that both videos are real and now i'll get to that point here in a second because that's actually the problem that i see but assuming that those videos are real like very clearly a narrative is being spun one way so that they can save face she can who they whatever yeah. the problem is that not only is it difficult to trust the media and what's being put out there because of the biases that you hear or that you know are going on and the the untruths and things that you like there's just there's something wrong with the narrative and I, like i'm just like that doesn't sound right but on top of that i don't know if a lot of the shit that i see like the videos are actually real or they've been cut or not like dan crenshaw could literally have just posted two videos that were actually not real possible i think yeah. that it's unlikely given what i know of the man i think he's got a little bit more integrity integrity than that but i you, you just don't know and so that adds a whole other element to it where it's like you don't trust the media so how does a party get their brand across when they don't really control the media they control a small portion and the only people who listen to that small portion are other conservatives so they don't like there isn't a lot of conservative radio news. It's like news radio and Fox News, you know, like and like there's not a, it's not a bit wide audience. And so it's hard to expand that when the mainstream media won't publish conservative things from conservative people. Um, and if you're distrustful already of the media, as I think a, a large percentage of Americans are like, even if you saw it, would you believe it? Well, I think, you know, real journalism is effectively dead. Yes. And that it puts us in a very vulnerable position in terms of 
um, disseminating information to a populace. If you can't trust the source, you know, so if we go back, you know, 70 years, got your Dan Rather, got your Walter Cronkite, and journalism was a high integrity profession. So even if you disagree, you would most likely believe that what they're saying has been vetted and they're they're sharing some facts. Yeah. You at least had that. So we had a shared reality that we could form an opinion on. Difficult as that is, um, it still kind of makes the whole thing work. Yeah. But when that's gone, when you don't have a shared reality, when you don't have a trusted source of what actually fucking happened, then people are just going to believe what feels true. And the things that feel true are typically just plays to your tribal instincts. Yeah. And we see the, you know, the echo chambers and siloing that, that we've been seeing for many years now. Uh, and, and we see the results. We've, we've lost our shared reality. Everybody is in their own version of, of their fantasy, really. Um, making the other side sound like devils, making themselves sound like the saviors. And we got to be ready for war. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, if you can't communicate, you're going to have conflict, yep. which, you know, we do. Um, but without that, without that shared reality, without that agreed upon shared reality, we're kind of fucked. Yes. Because it no longer has anything to do with truth or facts or, or any of that. But it's all narrative. It's all tribalism. It's all power grabs. It's all the shit that we've been seeing for the last few years. Um, and it leads to destruction. Yes, 100%. And, yeah. and I, don't know, I don't know if there's a chance to, to turn the boat around at this point. I, I think there's still a chance. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. Uh, so Chris Rufo, he, um, he's a journalist. He's written actually a, a, had a really good documentary on homelessness and on the West Coast. He checked out Seattle, uh, San Francisco, and I think Portland or somewhere else. And it's it's like a really good documentary. But he he was also um, he's probably outside of James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose. I think he's done more at the moment than anyone else, probably in the world, um, on documenting what is going on in the U.S. with critical race theory. He actually has probably done more than those two have. I think I've just studied it more. Um, he has he has like on his website he has like thousands upon thousands of documents that people have sent to him anonymously from government entities in different states and municipalities and counties and the federal government and at schools and in works, you know, for workshops and stuff he was able to do. Anyways, he was one of the guys that was fairly integral in getting um, the. Um, what was this? What was called the critical theory ban um, executive order by President Trump? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. He, he was the one who kind of helped get that started, though. Slide aside, the word critical race, the phrase critical race theory was never once mentioned in that executive order. Um, right. Race based stereotyping and teaching um, requiring uh, uh, um, training that pushes race-based stereotyping and sex-based discrimination as it makes it illegal, which seems correct to me. Um, I think we mentioned this before, but I thought it was funny after reading the amendment, like the order that people who claimed that it wasn't critical race theory, the critical race theory didn't do that stuff. They were basically saying that 
it banned critical race theory. So how did they do it? They were like, you're banning critical race theory, but critical race theory is never actually mentioned. So they're basically acknowledging that critical race theory does all the things that <laughs> it says that they do. Yeah. And so they kind of put their foot in their mouth with that one. But it, whatever the case, he Washington Post did an expose on him, like a, a hit piece. And okay. apparently like two journalists went under, you know, took like two, three weeks to bring up a bunch of shit or a 3000 word article about him. And like the entirety of the thing is false. And so we went through it line by line, like posted it on his Twitter and was like, they said this and here's what actually happened. Like, and I have proof of it. You know, they said that I made up this event about this diversity training being required at this thing. That's not true. Here's proof that it was done. They said that I didn't, I went to this event at this day. That's not true. Here's proof that I went to the event three weeks later, like all this kind of shit. Within 48 hours, they had retracted the paper and then revised it and removed and added six additional paragraphs to, to correct all of the mistakes that they had made. And they still <laughs> didn't apologize, apparently, and tried to essentially um, like minimize the lack of shitty journalism in the piece. And well, it's, they don't they don't have to. First of all, they don't need to defend their journalism because people don't care. Anymore. Exactly. And it was like and of those three items of the original article, Chris's rebuttal and then their revision of those three things. Uh, what got the most traffic? I don't know, but I would definitely bet that it's the first yep. one. People read it. People believed it. And that's it. They moved on with their day. Yep. And and that is super fucking effective. We see it all the time. You and can you, yeah, can, you can say total horse shit. And people will believe it, and then you prove it false. They say, "Okay, sorry, my bad." And you know, a page six little little uh, retraction, and nobody's going to read that. Nobody cares, yeah. and that false message is still floating and around. That's, that's a legitimate problem. I, this could be wrong, but I, I do believe that I remember hearing at some point that maybe it was I think it was the Washington Post as well that they actually went back um, recently and edited the articles that they had initially written a year ago that when they had written them claimed that the Wuhan lab leak theory was a hoax and was a right-wing conspiracy issue and all that kind of stuff. They went back into the articles that were posted and edited them to change what they had said. Because now it's mainstream to think that it's possible that it's, it's mainstream to, to, to entertain this theory and people yeah. freaked out because they hypothesis. Let's be good about that. The hypothesis. Yeah, there, hypothesis. there we go. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> But like I said, I believe it was them and I could be wrong, uh, but I, I believe it was them who did that. They basically were trying to go back and alter articles that were written a year ago to make it seem like they didn't say that it was bad then because now it's mainstream and OK to think. And it's like on some level, there needs to be some accountability for this shit. We've always been at war with Eurasia. It's a call back to 1984 right? in the like, uh, Ministry of Information where they go back and do exactly that. They rewrite history. Yeah. Um, which is exactly what you said. It was the New York Post? Or Washington, Washington Post. Post. I, I believe that's who it was. It was yeah. definitely the Washington Post who did the hit piece on Chris Rufo. Um, but uh, they're, they're getting away with rewriting history. And it, yeah. And, it, and how many people are going to go on the Wayback Machine to find the cached article to actually verify that they went and changed shit? Very few people. Yeah. And and that's part of yeah. the that's part of the problem is that you 
if you're not accountable for that sort of stuff and we're 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 in an age where information moves so quickly that people will forget about this tomorrow yeah oh my god that's so terrible but did you see what kylie jenner had on today yeah gone and yeah like i I don't like it's tough because I don't like government control. But I don't know what else to do to keep you know media companies accountable for shoddy journalist tactics. Like how do you control them? In this day and age, how do you do that? When it when the ramifications are so large because their reach is so large. How do you keep them on their heels and make sure that they're actually doing legitimate reporting? Without having some, I don't, I don't think you do. Yeah, if, if I want to be a pessimist, and I'm leaning more and more that way with this topic, but I think it's going to take an atrocious personal lived experience by a large number of people yeah. to remind everyone why these things are so important. And what I mean by that is something along the lines of a civil war. That's why I mentioned that earlier. Something, yeah. yeah, something really fucking intense, something incredibly awful is going to have to happen in order to shift the momentum. Until then, it's going to keep creeping this direction. Yeah. I, I, I believe that more and more every day. You know, so, you know, you and I have been talking about it. It doesn't seem to be uh, to be moving in a better direction over this last year. We've been talking about it um, and, and hoping that awareness would wake enough people up. Um doesn't seem that's going to be the case still you know quite a few people fighting the good fight but ultimately um if we know the direction it's gonna go what do we do to protect ourselves you know if uh if it's two years before the russian revolution <laughs> in what 1915 or, or what have you um you know if, if you know what's coming what do we do to prepare you know if the writing's on the wall and what we currently understand as the United States of America is about to change drastically, fucking what can we do to be in a little better position to take that hit? That's that's part of where I'm starting to think. Set up an autonomous zone where there's no government control. Dude, that'll totally work. Pretor- we should try that. Pretoria. <laughs> or Pretoria, sorry. Pretoria. That's what, Pretoria. Yeah, from Family Guy. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> or I, I would call yeah, I would call it so, something like Botopia. Botopia? Yeah. I like that. So Botopia. It kinda has a ring yeah, and but I mean, it's obviously gonna be a utopia. Do, of course. <laughs> Which I think the direct translation of that means doesn't exist. Similar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, do we gotta start fucking uh, you know, stockpiling books and water or you know, like how how sketchy is this gonna get if it truly goes sideways? I would say books for yeah. sure. Um, I, yeah, it's tough. Like I said, I, I don't want to. Part of me wants to entertain the whole notion and go down the uh, dystopian landslide, and part of me wants to not, you know, commit that fallacy and just say, oh. We're going to get there because I, I, I do think we're still a ways away. I, I think that um, looking back, you know, even three years ago to now, like things have heated up quite significantly, but it's 
in a lot of in, in similar ways, but I also think in different ways too. Um, there's an inherent problem with like three, three, four years ago, four years ago, I think technically maybe five, even, um, 2016, 2017, a lot of the stuff we're talking about was not mainstream. It was mostly in ivory towers in universities. And it was starting to trickle, uh, because there were enough millennials who were, uh, Maybe indoctrinated isn't the uh, appropriate word to use, but I think that's probably the best way to explain it. Um, were indoctrinated and came into the workforce, were slapped in the face because they have no useful skills, and then they started to try and change the world like they were told to do, and they were angry. And then I think that's this is kind of the manifestation of that. They're angry kids who have no useful skills, and so they change the world. Um, after being, Lee, we talked about a few weeks ago being sold a bill of goods, and they're like, well, I have activism and righteous, quote unquote, righteous anger. And so here we go. Now that it's mainstream, there's an inherent problem with it being mainstream is that now that every now everyone is going to be exposed to it. So everyone who was not has not been exposed to it for the last 30 years is going to be exposed at some point. And that'll allow for more people to stand up and say, hey, this is fucking crazy. Some of it's fine. Like, let's pick out the parts that are okay. But most of this is batshit, and we need to, like, really rein it in. And I don't think we've hit a critical mass yet where enough people are... That's happening. Um, You know, there's a good number of school districts across the country, I think in the hundreds, maybe the thousands, where parents are getting really angry about what's being taught to their kids. Um, And a lot of this is a result of them being able to hear about what's going on via zoom because they're seeing all their zoom classes yeah. and you know they're they're getting concerned about like you know as an example one that comes to mind um is uh one parent was very unhappy that they'd overheard their like eighth grader was in science like a biology class and the teacher was teaching about what white privilege was and systemic racism and i guess the teacher like actually acknowledged that it had nothing to do with biology but was teaching it anyways and the the parents like why the fuck are you teaching about white privilege like what does this have to do with biology or science like literally what does this have to do with science <laughs> specifically nothing yeah specifically <laughs> exactly and and so the parent was like why the fuck are you teaching this shit to my kid in science class and that's a fair question. You know, if you want to learn that stuff, you should go take a course, a humanities course, specifically on that kind of shit. Now, I'm not sold that that should be taught to kids in high school but or, or younger, um, K through 12, mostly because of the impressionability of 5 to 18-year-olds. But um, I think that there's, there's an argument to be had that – because I think that if we're not exposed to stupid ideas, then – we're not learning. You need to be exposed to shitty ideas so that you can confront them and argue against them and then shut them down. So kids should be exposed. Well, that just means you are platforming white supremacy. <laughs> How dare you? Right. Yeah, but no, I, I, I think that people should be exposed to, to communist ideology and to this woke narrative mm-hmm. and to Marxist think, thinking and to Nazi thinking and, and uh, you know, to the, to the old school black liberation theory, um, which is very radical, very abolitionist, uh, very destructive, um, and there are some good things to it too that you can glean, but 
you know, it, it, it's very destructive. And, and there's many, 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 many more of these things, but you should be exposed to them so you can understand the merits and the, the non-merits of it, and then understand how those things differ from what how we run our country here and, and why we do it the way we do as a country. And But anyway, so all these parents are upset, and there's like, like I said, hundreds of school districts where parents are like going to city council meetings and being like, why the fuck are you teaching this shit? And so people are waking up and then, you know, obviously the response, you know, of course, by the city councils are like, we're not teaching what you think we're teaching. And parents are like, are you, I'm, I'm watching it. Like I'm seeing it. It's fucking zoom. Like, I know what you're teaching. Like I, you know, when you segregate my, you know, seven-year-old and the rest of her classmates by race, it's really weird. Why are you doing this? Cause that's shit like that's happening, you know? And, um, apparently in Seattle, white teachers were accused of committing spirit murder what? on black kids. What the fuck is spirit murder? No idea. <laughs> More face noises. Yeah. And so like, huh. you know, and, and there, there's, there's a lot of, and there are things that actually need to be taught. Like here's actually where the problem for me lies, or I should say that the, the crux of the actual problem is that people, the people that, be, the powers that be need to get together and decide exactly how they and what needs to be taught when it comes to the history of this country that actually does need to happen and um and the, the histories of other countries like like i mentioned this on the podcast but i literally did not know what communism was like actually truly know what it was and what happened and like i didn't know who mao was until i was in almost 30 i think i told a story early on and um in uh in, in, or in the podcast uh, like months upon months ago, but a, a friend of mine, is, is, he's, he's Asian, um, he dressed up as Chairman Mao for Halloween one year. And <laughs> I didn't know what that was. I thought he was just being inappropriate. I didn't realize that Mao was, you know, was the communist dictator Worse of China. Hitler? Yeah, like I, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't like know exactly who he was. He, did, he had come up with like a, a clever name that rhymed for his costume. Um, okay. And uh, so I just thought he was just making like an inappropriate joke as, you know, college students tend to do. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't, like it was a good, co the costume looked good. Like he, it was a funny costume and it was, you know, whatever. I didn't think anything more of it. And then like seven years later, I was like, that's who Chairman Mao is. Like, oh damn. Like he's responsible <laughs> for probably a hundred million people's deaths. Like, holy shit. Like that joke just got way darker and, Right. Funnier, depending on how you want to look at it, but um, or not funny, I guess, to, to to those who don't like that kind of humor. But um, like, so there's things that need to be taught. And it's like, that's a good question. That's a that's a that's a reasonable question. And we need to discuss how we teach racism in this country, how we teach emancipation and um, the, the suffrage movement and civil rights and the Reformation and Jim Crow, like that stuff actually needs, we need to have, we probably need to teach more of it more intensely. I, I'm fine with all that personally. I think that's a good thing. Um, however, there's a difference between that and, um, you know, doing what is currently being done to a lot of students and teachers across the country, which is drastically different. Um, there was, uh, something there was like a podcast that just came out this might be the washington post again i'm sorry to shit on the washington post but they're just making a lot of stupid mistakes lately um <laughs> they suggested that what was it that um 
all of the all of the white people that work for them needed to live they needed not only they they needed to not only live in their own shame regarding what their ancestors did but they also needed to form white coalitions so they could hold each other accountable for their ancestral like racism whoa and so there is the, the, so there's like two there's a couple of issues here first off there's like the shame issue on one end of this argument you have critical race theory and the stuff that's being taught anti-racism as an example because that's the other thing that's separate from critical race theory but is very intertwined um, basically all of candy's ideas are a derivatives of critical race theory having read a large number of critical race theory books and uh, how to be an anti-racist it's he even actually i think acknowledges it in the book but it's like a derivative of that. And Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, is literally just a cookie cutter of critical race theory put into palatable words for middle-aged white women. Like that's, it's just palatable for middle-aged white women. That's what it is. Anyway, so um, part of the narrative is that this language, this these teachings don't teach kids to hate themselves for being white. So on one end, you have we're not actually teaching young kids that are white to hate themselves. But then you have this on the other end, you have you should feel shame for your white ancestors. And so I'm not really sure, like, how they're supposed to draw a line between those things, because eight year olds who feel shame because their great great grandparents may or may not have owned slaves or been racist are probably not going to like the fact that they're related to that person and also are white. I'm sorry, there's just no way around that for kids. They're not they're not going to they're not going to just be able to parse that away and say that doesn't affect me. Um, because that's very cold and unemotional. And like, as someone who's cold and unemotional, a lot of the time, like I probably would have had a hard time with that as an eight year old. Um, yeah. So there's that. And then there's the, the other issue of they're calling for white coalitions for accountability. So they're actually asking for white people to segregate into groups together, which I think in the sixties would have been called white supremacist. And you might've been considered part of the Ku Klux Klan, but that's a whole separate thing. And then you're supposed to have accountability sessions, which is literally a fucking struggle session. <laughs> it's an actual struggle session so that other whites can tell you when you're fucking up. That's what a struggle session Jeez. is. It's literally yeah. other people telling you that you're fucking up. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, so you're asking whites to segregate in a positive sense. And then you're asking them to struggle session. And I'm not even making a leap there because that's actually what struggle sessions are. And they just repackage it with different words uh, and i'm like i don't i don't understand <laughs> i don't like well you know but i think that's that's kind of part of it that i don't understand part because think about this um if you find yourself in a situation where you're underinformed somebody's coming at you with all this critical race theory and postmodernism, which as you and i have discovered is very fucking deep and confusing and contradictory and all that but on purpose so it's yeah. on purpose that's, yeah exactly that's so it's a big confusing mess and now that's big confusing mess is getting pointed at you well you don't want to be called a racist so you want to do something about that well what do i got to do well it's this big confusing mess so i tell you what just listen to me and i'll tell you what to do because i know about the big confusing mess so just listen to me and I'll go ahead and guide you. Well, you sound like a cult leader. Step number one, go over with the other white people and tell each other what you're doing wrong. Yep. And then, I, and then I await further instruction. So I, I think there's an aspect of that 
that even if it's not deliberate, is opportunistic, and that by keeping yeah. it confusing, uh, it, it gives you that degree of power. No, it, yeah, the confusion is, is tactical. It's, yeah. it's legitimately tactical because it's really hard to make arguments when you can't keep the or to defend or tear down an argument when you can't keep the argument, you know, consist logical and consistent. It's an iTunes user agreement. Yeah. And, you, just, and, you just have to trust whoever's telling you is telling you the truth. And as we discussed before, the tools for determining truth being logic and reason do not apply here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you just got to trust me. And like I mentioned, you, when you say it like that, that's what that's what cult leaders sound like. hundred <laughs> percent. That's that is the tactics they use. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely cultish behavior, which is uh, also terrifying. And so, yeah, let's see. What does it say here? It says um, one of the uh, the most recent installment of the Washington Post video series, The New Normal. Guests on the show encourage white people to join white accountability groups and experience a period of deep shame while acknowledging the harm our ancestors have caused. Holy fuck. Dude, send me that article. I'd like to read that. Of course. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And uh, well, and here's another thought as uh, as at least here in Washington State, kids are all going back to in person starting in the fall. So the parents don't get that little window in via Zoom. Yep. So now they can just say that oh, no, we're not teaching critical race theory and the kids aren't going to be able to fucking explain it. They're just going to know that they're white. Therefore, they're bad. Yeah. And, and that's it. And that's part of it, too, is like the uh, the idea that white equals bad or that white equals automatically racist is talked about by a few of, of the proponents. Like Robin D'Angelo actually says it like explicitly, um, but not a lot of them do. They say that um, whiteness is what's racist, which is different. That's that's an entity, a meta entity that's outside of white people but it's it's the collective of whites and and so it's like bullshit word games really yeah it's like so you get all the white people together and then the the meta society or whatever culture that's created from that is whiteness and that's racist so by definition at least one person within the group has to be racist but when you strip away the individual, because that's also what this stuff does, then everyone's a part of the group. So therefore, everyone's racist. Like there isn't a way around that logic. And because that's what it means to be have no individual identity and to only have a group identity. And particularly if you disagree. Yeah. It, because that, of course, is just proof that you are, in fact, a racist. Exactly. And so it's this is the problem that I think parents should have because it's the shit that's being taught to kids. And it's like, okay, there are problems. Racism is a legitimate thing. There are going to be kids who go to school and they're going to sit down at the lunch table and a white kid's going to be like, I don't want to sit next to you because of the color of your skin or something, however a seven-year-old would say that. And it's going to be really awkward and uncomfortable and sad and unfortunate for that young kid of color. Like, shit like that's going to occur and that'll probably always occur or maybe it'll occur the other way i don't know or it'll be an asian and a black kid or a a hispanic kid and an asian kid whatever it doesn't matter okay those things do happen 
how do we, we should find ways to stop those things from happening as much as they do um, and educate young kids. But it doesn't seem to me that the way to do that is to say, is to blanketly essentialize that all of one race is inherently a certain way because of how society is. That's the problem is that that's literally how it's taught. Well, yeah, and it's it, the, it. It goes back to the fundamental purpose of education, and it is not to teach you uh, what to think; it's to teach you how to think. Yes, and that shit's gone. And this is teaching Kids you are what not learning to think. how yeah. to think. Exactly, they are just they're just fucking downloading in them little brains. And what do you what do you think and, uh, is yeah. eight year olds? How do you think eight year olds are going to feel when they hit 18, 20, 22, 25 When for the last seventeen years? That's what they've been told. How are you? How do you think they're going to feel through all that impressionable, those impressionable ages? Their brains are f- developing that whole time. They're hitting puberty, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, depending on whether or not that's <laughs> been blocked, uh, uh, that's a whole separate thing that I, we probably won't ever get into. I don't feel comfortable having that discussion live, but that that can be a legitimate problem. Um, oh yeah. And so, kids are mal- humans are malleable. Like we're even malleable in our older ages. Like we're malleable people. And so if you start teaching this shit to young kids and they don't understand and get taught other things, like they're not going to be very happy as 25 year olds. They're not going to be happy with who they are, who they're related to, who their ancestors were, who people are like them, like how the world is like all this shit, you know? And it's like, I don't, it's no wonder that Gen Zers are fucking angry for many reasons, but this is one of them. It's like, they've been taught this since they were a kid. And it's more overt now well, than it was 15, 20 years ago, but they were still, they, this stuff's still been being taught for decades. Yeah. And we're seeing the evidence of it just yeah. in rates of, you know, suicide, depression, anxiety, among other the, things. The yeah. mental, of course. Yeah. And it's like, we kind of know what happens. And now there are other reasons for that stuff. So you, you can't point to this sort of doctrine and say that this is the cause of it. And that's unfortunate in, in, in the case of trying to dismantle the doctrine. But um, it's like, I, I don't see how anyone could reasonably think that this is what's good for kids. Like the people who are pushing this, like I actually don't understand because most of them are, most of them are doctors. Like they have actual doctorates and you could argue the validity of their doctorate and their PhD given where they got it and how much work they had to put into it and the field they were in. But most of them are hardworking, highly intelligent or at least decently intelligent individuals who you know, by all intents and purposes for the average individual aren't stupid. And so I don't understand how they can see this and think this is a good way to teach kids. Like, when has it ever been? Because they don't want to be racist. Yeah, it's like when it, it, it taps an earlier part of your brain. You know, it's that that emotional tribal section. Yeah. You know, logic and reason, that's more your prefrontal cortex. That's that's newer and that is, uh, I would say, less influential overall. So if we can tap into that, you're not a racist, are you? Okay. Then follow this. Yep. Hey, if it doesn't make sense to you, it just means you don't understand. But in the meantime, do what I say, because you're not a racist, are you? All right. Now now go do the work. Educate yourself. Yep. Did you hear about the Yale professor who said she fantasizes about murdering white people? Yeah, I think actually I think you sent me that that, uh, article. Fuck. So that's also a thing. So we have that going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least she said it out loud. So we had something to point at. Yeah. And nothing came of it. Like literally nothing. Didn't she get let go? I don't. Oh, no. I think she's still. 
she's still working. Oh um, my god! I believe so. I thought she so, got to go. Okay. Let's see. Um, water and books, Bo. Yeah, water and stock books. Stock up on water and books. Yeah, I, I believe. Um, yeah, what she said. She said I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body. And wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step. This was audio taken. This audio taken from one of her lectures. And she's a she teaches medicine. <laughs> yeah, so she's like, Wow, it, do no harm <laughs> unless they're white. And I, I do not believe that she has been let go. Um, I believe she still has a job. Um, though maybe I'll do a quick, I'll do a quick search here to see if, uh, she's still employed. Um, so you can fantasize about murdering white people, but if a CEO, um, tells people that we can't have anything to do with the N word and in uttering that sentence, he actually had to say the N word mm -hmm. loses everything. Yep. Though I do believe it looks like her, um, her private practice may have been permanently shut down. She may have like closed, uh, permanently closed her private practice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I guess some, something came of it, which is a uh, slight recompense, right? It's like, okay, at least you, you can't just say that shit and literally nothing happens. Um, yeah. but still crazy stuff. Um, so incredibly lopsided yeah in terms of the the response yeah and now you're gonna have and i mean we have what 350 million people in this country so you're always gonna have and in with how fast technology is today and how fast information is disseminated you're always going to have the rhetoric like this period like it's just going to exist. There's too many people for it not to, to exist, right? And so, on some level, like this, oh, of course, yeah. This one person isn't indicative of how other people feel, of course. Um, but it it's just par for the course with all the other stuff that we see and hear that's been going on elsewhere, you know. And um, which is that that's the concerning part for me, isn't that one person said it? It's that I've seen dozens say similar things about how they feel about like an unprotected race of people because technically speaking i don't believe whites are protected under like hate speech laws and other discriminatory laws i don't think we have the same protections well and so definitely not in effect yeah and so uh, everywhere you can get away with trashing on white people yeah and so um, I, I don't believe yeah. that that the same those things, the same kinds of laws apply. And so you can do this sort of stuff with, in this case, some obviously some backlash, but um, I don't think there's any legal backlash that can come from it. Um, and so the more and more that it occurs, obviously, the, the worse it, it is. Um, I don't know. My, maybe this is more of a hope than, than, than what I think will actually happen, but I had mentioned earlier that the more people are exposed to stuff, the more people will be able to rebut against it and, you know, hit it head on and say, this is, you know, here's some crazy things. We should probably not do this. Um, and that would kind of be my hope is that as it becomes more mainstream, 
people are like, nope, this is not the kind of stuff that should be mainstream here. Um, yeah. I don't think it'll be that simple. Um, I think that it'll be a uh, very um, vitriolic fight. For sure. That's almost guaranteed. And, you know, hey, the good news is in the meantime, was it uh, Patrice Carlos got herself a couple of really nice houses. So she'd be chilling. <laughs> you know, it's been profitable for her, at least. And then left BLM for unrelated reasons to uh, finance issues. And then... Oh, I didn't hear that part. Yes. Yeah, so Colors she, left BLM. She stepped down um, amid finance controversy over what BLM was doing with their money, though apparently it was unrelated. Um, so we'll never probably we'll, we'll, ne we'll never know if it was actually related or not. I'm not sure. She said that, that, that this was in the works for a year, but I again, you just don't know. Um, very shortly thereafter, a nonprofit of hers um, came under scrutiny and I think was is being audited by California for um, not claiming all of the funds that it brought in um, on its taxes. So like they got like that's encouraging. a quarter of a million dollars in donations and then they only claimed like 50,000 of them and oh uh, <laughs> she's like listed as like the founder or the president of this nonprofit so um there's more money scrutiny it i don't know obviously i have no idea what's going on but given that it's been multiple money issues with her so w with the, the homes with the scrutiny with blm and then with this other nonprofit, on top of the other money issues that multiple other blm chapters which are unaffiliated with the global network but they're you know they're unaffiliated quote unquote they all run as separate entities because it's all grassroots and not connected at the center uh, legally um though i don't think that that's like any good proper yeah. terrorist cell yeah you need to be independent yeah but um there's been a lot of financial issues and so um so we'll see if there's more to come from that, but I imagine that's pretty significant, man. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, that's a go to jail level of fraud. Yeah, you know, I would not be surprised if there's a good level of uh, monetary corruption. Uh, that's not uncommon with big with with uh, with companies. Um, yeah, in particular, when you see like like I mean, they've gotten massive influxes of cash in the last year, like huge, like hundreds of millions, like absurd amounts of mm -hmm. money. Like there's there's no way that there isn't somebody who's close to the money isn't like, hmm, I wonder what I can get away with. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I just I find that hard to believe, given how much it's grown worldwide and how much money has been donated. And the fact that there's apparently there's very little, if any, evidence that shows that any of the money that's been donated has actually been used to help black families anywhere. I mean, not at all surprising. E even Hawk Newsom called out the organ the head organizers of blm and was like i want to you know we need to see financial records and you may remember hawk he um he did that podcast that we talked about with uh robert woods who was an older black gentleman who was like he was mm -hmm. one of the guys who like marched and shit in the 60s and was much yeah, he, he marched with yeah with king yeah he much yeah. more old school activist and hawks the kind of the new school activist and he was you know very vocally pro BLM and it was actually kind of rude to, to, to Mr. Woods. Um, yes, he was. Um, there was some times where he had some deferential treatment to him and I think it was, he tried to be respectful, but there are other times where he was just kind of an asshole and was like, look, old man, like, yep. and, but like, he, you know, even he, who's very clearly, you know, a proponent of this 
of this movement. He stepped down to allow uh, two or three, uh, um, uh, as he called them, his sister, you know, three, uh, two or three black women um, to take charge of the the chapter that he initially led um, so that there could be more black women at, at, at the center of this. Um, and he's like, you know, we need to take a look at the finances here because there's some shady shit going on. And so when you have like one of your biggest and most vocal and well-known proponents saying, hey, we need to take a look at the finances here. Like th there's some problems. Yeah, you know, for sure. and, um, well, it's not surprising any with the, the lack of integrity in their arguments. It's no surprise there would also be lack of integrity in their bookkeeping. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, very, very true. And so we'll see how that breaks down. It, it's kind of one of those things where like. I would very much like there to be. an organization organizations where they're good faith and actually attempting or actually going through and doing tangible things to help um, disadvantaged communities, whether that's black communities, brown communities, Asian communities, Hispanic, whatever, um, poor white communities, all of it. Um, and they're good faith and they're open and honest about it. And they're bringing in large amounts of money from donations and they're actually putting that money to work in communities that need it. Um, Hell yeah, dude. I mean, I said it before, I'll say it again. My biggest gripe with BLM and, and all of the, the wokesters, woke hucksters, uh, is they're fucking up a good cause. Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the grain of truth at their argument that they, uh, you know, bastardize all the hell, but that grain of truth exists. It's real. Yeah. It should be addressed. And, no matter what happens, whether they quote-unquote win or quote-unquote lose, it's fucking it up for those groups that need the help the most. Yeah, it, it's and we actually talked tragic. about that, I think, like in the first one or two episodes uh, of the, the actual podcast. Is it, you know, I, actually, it's funny to think back now, like at the time, I was legitimately scared to say some of the stuff we said because I thought if anyone heard this, that it might be a problem that, you know, cause at that time you could not be against BLM. Like to, to be against right. BLM was to, was the exact same thing as being a neo-Nazi racist. Like there wasn't a difference. Like you were just straight up like a white supremacist. How fucking dare you? And the narratives actually changed where there are, there are definitely people who are coming out and saying, look, like it's the organization that we have a problem with. It's the ideology. It's the ideals. It's, it's the things that they purport on their own website to be, to want that are kind of the antithesis of, what the movement initially wanted. Like there's some, like the destruction of the nuclear family and the lack of inclusion of fathers. Like that's not the kind of thing that's going to, to help in particular black families, anyone, anyone, yeah. but in particular black families, because they do have a higher rate of single parents, single mothers, um, yeah. as a, as a group. And so it's like that, you know, it would seem to me that, uh, you know, the thing to do is to try and find a way to, to get more fathers into the picture. Or just another parent, I guess it doesn't need to necessarily be a father. I don't, um, but just more a parent. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't. Anyways, it is. You can kind of go off of forever on that. It's just more of like, and then we see all this stuff come out, and it's like, okay, well, this doesn't surprise me because it, this is just part and parcel with some of the problems I had. Like, there's a shaky foundation for this organization, and and then all this other shit comes up. That's, you know low level corrupt at this point, because we don't know much about it. So I don't want to say that they're corrupt because I don't know. Uh, but assuming that what we're hearing is actual evidence of, you know, shady shit, 
then it'll be evidence of corruption. It's like, that doesn't surprise me either because of the foundation this shit's built on. Like yeah. when you have, when you have a movement or an organization or whatever, that's built on a shape, a foundation as shaky as uh, the, the, you know, the tenets of this type of ideology, corruption is inevitable. There, there is no other way to make sure that things move properly outside of violence. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a, there's a reason that socialism has never been tried. It's because every time people try corruption and violence occur. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's actually <laughs> how you get away with the argument of socialism has never been tried is because socialism doesn't include violence and corruption, but it's because, so, you know, which is, you can't do it without violence and corruption. That, yeah, that, and that's like the, the, the disconnect is it's like you literally can't do what what, what, what what this is attempting to do without those things. It's not actually possible um, because of the problems with it. There's. Yeah. And so we'll see. Um, my hope would be that it it writes its ship, it fixes the, the, the organization and maybe change it and changes its message to something that's much more palatable to the to the public and is much more reasonable and actually does help um the people that it proclaims to want to help you know like yeah i'd actually just settle for them actually helping people <laughs> I, like honestly like I, I mean that seriously like i'm not going to be on board with them if they're going to run, run away with their the ideology like they are but if they're bringing in a couple hundred million dollars in a year and then they're actually putting that money into low-income black neighborhoods to help get them out of poverty and to help create jobs and to renovate homes and to give money to schools so they can get better books and to pay teachers more okay cool i'm probably not going to donate yeah. but because i don't like where the ideology's taking it but at least you're doing some fucking good. I would, I would even consider it if I knew for a fact that the money was going to a good place, regardless of the ideology, if I just look at it as a vehicle to get funds into the hands of people that will make good use of it, I might even still donate. I mean, how about they do like every other 501 C3, believe it is nonprofit organization Mm -hmm. and open your fucking books like I believe they're legally required to and show us what's going on with the money, but they don't. Yeah. Crazy shit. You know, hopefully, hopefully it's just, you know, we'll look back on this as kind of a flash in the pan that they, you know, happened to be positioned the way they were when George Floyd got killed. Therefore it was a perfect storm for them to get all the attention. They got a bunch of money, but you know, something will be really be revealed you know, along the lines of, you know, colors and all their homes and other financial discrepancies, and it will fade away into the night and, and some other organization will step up and actually do good help. Yeah. Um, I'm not, that's that's the optimistic view. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I can't remember if this is true or not, but I, I do believe that um, I had heard initially that, that the initial founding of the organization, the three, including Miss um, Colors, um, the three founders actually co-opted and moved into the positions that they have um, and were not the original creators. I, I believe there were people before them. 
Um, mm. And so, uh, again, I'm not 100% sure on that. I remember hearing that at some point and then I didn't, I was probably busy with something else that I cared about more and um, didn't look into it. But I vaguely remember hearing that. And so I actually might do some research into that and figure out exactly kind of what their part in it was, because I, I do believe that the actual person who initially first made the tweet, the BLM tweet, um, wasn't one of the three that's in that controls it right now. It was someone else. That If that is true, that would be in line with what seems to be one of their tactics. Um, other evidence being, if you recall, um, I think Brett Weinstein was um, reporting on a clubhouse conversation oh, yes, yes, yes. that he witnessed, whereas um, it was there were I think a couple of white moderators having this discussion or, or hosting a discussion and some woke divists showed up. Um, they you know, purported themselves to be people of color. They demanded that they be given administrative access and therefore the, you know, the, I need to call it the, the platform or the stage or what have you so that they can talk. Um, so not talk. only talk, but also uh, say who else can and cannot talk. So they had that moderator power and then kicked out the original moderators. Yep. So they absolutely infiltrated the conversation and got rid of the people that started it in the first place uh, and then took it their own direction. Yep. Um, and I, I haven't listened to the whole thing. It's five hours. Oof. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll send you the link to it. It's it's still up on YouTube as far as I'm aware. Um, okay. But it's just really long. And so I haven't had a chance to, uh, to, to listen to all of it. I've listened to like a couple of minutes and it's kind of painful. Yeah, that's a lot, especially for yeah. people spouting those kind of ideas with their but, lack of reasonable argument. Yeah, um, but that, but the gist of what you're saying is correct. And so um, that is kind of the pattern, though, too, of. Um, it's a hostile takeover. Yeah, well, it, if you, you, in business, that is called a hostile takeover. Yeah. So you infiltrate and then tear down from within. And then re yeah. remake in your own image. Um, yeah. So again, I, I don't want to claim that that is actually what occurred. I just I, I vaguely remember hearing something about that, um, which also makes me skeptical of the motivations of the three of them with running the organization. Um, if they're co-opting from someone who someone else or other people, and then running it the direction they want, um, you know, the motivations behind that, you know. I question those, especially after, you know, a few of them have gone on record as saying that, um, you know, they're legitimately trained Marxists. Um, yep. And that they, one of the, one of the main people that they listen to and follow as an organization is, I think it's Akana Shakur, who's, uh, I think to date, the only woman who's ever been on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Um, She's escaped prison and lives in Cuba and is a convicted murderer, um, but is a, a black activist from like the 60s and 70s. Um, Shikata, I think is what it is. Um, so that's also concerning, you know, that, that that would be one of their mentors um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, but yeah, and so I'll have to look, I'll have to, I want to do some more research into that before I put my foot further into my mouth. Um, about that, but yeah, so we'll see how this shakes down. It'll be interesting. I'm sure that more is going to come out. I'm sure that as it, if they don't start releasing their finances and more problems come about, people are going to start digging and they're going to get unhappy. Um, 
there was recently a uh, a fella who was um, he was like the head of I forget like the New Jersey BLM chapter. He, he was the head of a chapter in a city, and um, he uh, stepped down because of um, their financial issues. He's like, I haven't. You guys literally have done nothing. Hmm. Like you've just done nothing with the money. We've had no help. We have no support. Like. And then there's been a, there's been a large number of parents of young uh, black men and women who've been killed. Uh, I think Breonna Taylor's mom is uh, one of the more uh, most known at the moment. Um, okay. Because Breonna Taylor was so recent um, and tragic, and um, who've come out and been like BLM has basically propped me up at the time, you know, and then has just dropped me and not helped the family. They haven't given us any money. They haven't came through on any of the promises that they promised during the whole entire issue that they went through. And she's like, it's apparently she's crying fraud on their part and being like, what the, what the hell? Like, you know, you, you pulled me center stage to talk about, you know, this, the death of my daughter and you know, how much of a problem it was and tragic and wrong it was. And, and then you made all these promises to help and you've done none of it. Interesting. Yeah. Not at all surprising. I mean, and it's it's perfectly consistent with an organization that admittedly is obsessed with power, sees everything in the dynamic of power, yep. and an organization that has shown its lack of integrity and willingness to do whatever it is to get their message across, therefore, that is the type of, of organization that you can fully expect to lie, cheat, and steal their way to power and then do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yep. It's nothing new. I mean, that's just, that's human nature. That's, you know, that's what, it's, that's it's what groups do when they fairly get power. unevolved. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's pretty normal. Um, but we're seeing it happen. And the, the thing, you know, the big takeaway is don't trust what they're saying because they are admittedly lacking in integrity <laughs> and focused on power. Well, you look at what they do. That's yeah. Um, I forget her name. I'll try and find it. It was uh, this uh, woman. She did a deep dive for like a number of weeks into the finances of the BLM organization. And to to this date, she still doesn't know where the money's gone. I think I know that I was trying to remember her name as we were talking, like but Su I think I remember. It's like Susan Woods or something like that. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds right. She's a doctor. Um, and she, she She's a black woman. Yeah. She works in uh, nonprofit organizations yeah. professionally, so she knows the ins and outs. Yep. She went ahead and did the research and couldn't find a fucking thing. Yep. Super, super sketchy. Here's an yeah. interesting um, – this is just a, a slight – maybe it's not a revelation, but it's an interesting thought I had. So corruption and violence, that's what's required to push um, – dictatorial, tyrannical ideologies. Um, corruption to make things actually work because typically tyrannical ide ideologies when they're in power they don't actually fun function smooth enough to get shit done. And so you need corruption or people are at the top are corrupt because they want to take everything they can but you also need to bribe everyone to actually get shit moving. And so um, it's like the only reason more people weren't didn't starve to death during like you know, the great leap forward in, in China and um, during all of Russians, Russia's failed, you know, communist regimes um, is because people were corrupt and then they would pay to get shit done and then people would get food, though it wasn't yeah. enough, of course. Um, and then you have violence and the violence is because once the honeymoon phase wears off about what it is that the party 
is for, you need violence in order to keep everyone in line. You need the fear so that people don't speak out because otherwise once people start talking, then good ideas will come forth. Yeah. Every, every governing ruling party ever has partaken in these things when they turn tyrannical. Everyone. So as of right now, we haven't seen mass death. But what does throughout history, you know, violence and essentially murdering people to silence them? What does it do? It silences them. So we haven't seen the death, but we have seen quite large cancellations socially. And part of me wonders if that is the new um, that the new form of that. I would say yes, and because the, um, not the sole purpose, but one of the purposes of violence is not to eliminate or silence the person that you killed, but it's to send a message of fear to everyone exactly. else. And so as long as that fear is spreading, then, you know, as I've said before, that's that's your political currency. And every, if people yeah. are afraid, you can get shit done. And everyone is afraid to be canceled. Especially if you're going to, if you know it's reasonable, you might lose your job. You might yeah. lose your spouse, custody of your kids. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not just uh, getting kicked off of Twitter. No, there are absolutely real world consequences. And, and you can't blame most people for not wanting to get caught up in that. Exactly. And even if they say things that are uncouth and maybe deserve some reprimands, you know, some people sure. have, that have been canceled have said things online that, um, or, you know, in video or whatever that uh, I wouldn't personally say, and maybe they deserve, you know, a little bit of a uh, vitriol from people, but do they deserve to lose all of those things? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's hard to say if that's the correct way to go, but regardless of whether it's correct or not, it, it serves the same purpose. Um, no one, no one, no, the people are afraid to talk out. I think they're less afraid now than they were a year or two ago, but which is um, good, but it's like, I don't know Have, what, what, to, what leads you to that conclusion? Cause I haven't seen that myself. I think just because more and more people are willing to talk and stand up people. Okay. I, I think seeing parents as an example, go to school districts, go to, go to school board meetings and stand out against the stuff that their kids are being taught. Um, that, that alone tells me that there are more and more people who are like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go like a, a, one of the counties. I forgot. I don't remember which one, but there's a Facebook group of parents who in the, and school board members and stuff. And the whole purpose of the Facebook group is to write out the parents who are not on board and the teachers and other people within the county who are not on board with what's being taught so that they can ostracize them. Like that's the whole point of the group is like, they've actually just been doing that. So they form a group and then they tattle on people. It's like, uh, what's this fuck said from evergreen? They either get in line or we'll get them out of here. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, like, that shit obviously occurs and parents are still doing it like that County. Um, I believe it was in Virginia. I think it was Loudoun County. It's like one of the wealthiest counties in the country, which is ironic considering what we're, we're all dealing <laughs> with here, but it's like the wealthiest fucking County. And, uh, one of them and like, they're doing that shit. And the parents are still like, fuck you. I'm still going to come. I'm still going to say, this is stupid. I don't care what you do. And I think people have lost their jobs for it and whatever else too. But it's like, as I see more and more of that, it's like, 
there are people who, because you're just going to have more people who don't give a fuck. As more people get exposed to it, there's just going to be a larger percentage of the, or there's going to be more more numbers, even if the percentage is the same, because there's more people who are exposed, they're going to just not care. And yeah. well, I think it would probably be a little more accurate to say that they care enough, say about their kids. Yeah, it's not that they don't care about losing their job, but they love their kids more. So which is all that, you know, that's heartening. That. Um, yeah, that's actually uh, I like that. that. That's a that's a heartening thing to think. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. And so that, that's in part where I'm basing that slight amount of hope on is that, um, I think that people are just natural. And I also think too, that like, we're going to run into a, a cancel culture fatigue. If people haven't already hit it, I've already hit it. I hit it like day one. Um, yeah. once all the people who probably should have literally been canceled and removed from their positions of power were removed. So like the first few months, um, when all the, the really fucked up people, um, like your Harvey Weinstein's and stuff like that. Um, yeah. After that, and then it became like for stuff that was a little silly in comparison, it was like, okay, I'm over this. Like, I'm just, I'm just done, you know. Once they canceled a professor for sticking up for his own professor wife for telling people to, what, you know, what was it? The, I forget, Christakis, Nicholas, and I forget his wife's name. A couple of years ago, the, the they were um, husband and wife, and they were like Yale or something, and they both were RAs. So they were in dorms next to each other, uh, girl and boy dorms. And the wife sent out an email. I've read the email. It was like a normal email. It's like, I think you guys are old enough to decide what you can and can't wear for Halloween. So maybe we shouldn't do all this like... Um, you can't wear this or that because of this or that. Like maybe you should just make your own decisions as adults and express yourselves. And I, I think I think that we can get past this as you know as a as a group of very intelligent people at like the greatest school in the world. How to think, not what to think. Yes, people freaked out, wrote hate letters and shit, asked for a resignation. Her husband met a bunch of people in like the quad and talked to them and had like a normal discussion or tried to have a normal discussion. He was like shouted down a bunch and they got fired. What did they claim was the basis for that? I uh, I can't remember exactly. It's been a couple of years now. I forget. But they but there was like some kind of you know racism and sexism and white supremacy and all that shit. Like so, when that kind of stuff happens, I'm like, this is I have fatigue now, dude. Yeah, well, for sure. Like, it's it, they, as we you know we said before. There's there's no logical reason to it. Therefore, there it, it makes dialogue and dialectic literally impossible yep because like the argument was like some people were upset because college students have inappropriate costumes so like you have like a slutty indian costume for a girl so you know you wear very little and then a headdress and some people are like that's pro- cultural appropriation like that's racist like you can't do that stuff like that and on some level it's like okay fair enough like maybe we've moved past the point to where we should wear slutty native american costumes for halloween I don't know. Maybe we should. I, I whatever. Do it. Girls, do what you want to do. I don't. I don't personally care. But something like that was on the table, and I think it was actually that one. But maybe it was some other costume that was some kind of a, a cultural appropriation issue, and it was a Halloween thing. And she's like, instead of, and she didn't write a letter where she was like, "That's stupid. What culture sucks? Like, wear whatever the fuck you want. Go America. Like America. Fuck yeah. MAGA. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like that. It was basically like." I think, you know, she was like reasonable. She's like, we're all adults here. I think we can decide on our own 
without instituting all of these extra rules, what should be appropriate or not to wear. And I think that we can all get behind the spirit of Halloween and what people are trying to do with it. So let's be adults. Let's handle this like adults and maybe not make go too far with it, essentially, you know. And that was it. That was the straw. It's like, nope, you were against cultural appropriation or you're for cultural appropriation because you're against what we wanted and you're fired. And it's like, oh, like, holy shit. Um, wow. It was either That's that incredible. or they both, they might have both, like, I think it might have been a similar situation to, to Brett and Heather in that um, they, like, settled and left or something. Like, it, they're no longer there okay. as far as I'm aware. Gotcha. And um, But it was, like, a big deal. And it's like... The, Hopefully the latter. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the mob, like, came after them, you know, and it's like, holy, holy Jesus. Um, you know, what do you do? And, and then there's obviously middle ground cases. I think there was a a white law professor, former law professor, like a college in North Carolina a year or two ago. He um, he had made a Twitter comment about the uh, governor or mayor of North Carolina or something and some some I think it was like restrictions regarding COVID, if I remember correctly. And um, they were pretty intense and strict and he made like a comment about it and the comment was uh, uh, fairly racist i think by anyone's estimation he was like you know oh yes massa you know like m-a-s-s-a like the shortened mm-hmm. vernacular for master um i guess the slave vernacular i think is what is referred yeah. to but um and some he said some inappropriate things because the the governor was black and um and uh, he was uh i don't know if he was fired f- before he committed suicide, but within a week he had committed suicide. Oh wow! Because of all of the Shit. all of the, um, the the hate hate mail and like death threats and things he got, and I think I think he was let go um, as well, and uh, like just straight up let go. Like that's like a more middle ground, or maybe even a less middle ground case where like he did do something that was very inappropriate. Um, did it warrant a firing, and did it warrant a, pr- a push to his suicide? The latter part, definitely not. Um, I don't think that that. It should have been on the table at all and, and but you, you can't stop a mob a mob thinks doesn't really think individually it thinks it you know for itself and moves by itself and so like you're coming across these instances where like people said some dumb things and some inappropriate things and things they shouldn't have said in like in this person's case but was that the right way to handle it i don't think it was you remember a few years ago when there's a big push to get rid of bullying yeah. How okay. the fuck did that become the main tool? Also, yes. So, that, yeah. That's exactly what it, the whole thing. It, the, the tactic is bullying. So the, that's what makes yeah. the whole fucking thing work. No, I know. And one of the ironic things about this is that bullying, um, there was a huge push in particular in California for years to increase self-esteem so that kids wouldn't get bullied as much. The idea being that like, a somehow you can apparently test self-esteem, which I don't think is actually true, but um, I, I I don't believe that the literature, from what I understand, backs that up entirely or at all. But um, but they were going to increase self-esteem so that kids would stick up for themselves, essentially, and um, then bullies wouldn't want to beat them up. Basically, what they found, what was found, is that bullies actually had um, drastically higher self-esteem than other people. So it had like the op like. It didn't work. (laughs) 
Interesting. Because bullies already had, yeah, because they also thought yeah. that like bullies actually suffered from lower self-esteem too, and that's why they acted out. And so if we increase self-esteem, they'll feel better about themselves. They won't act out and hurt other people. And really what it was oh, is they just, yeah. they, they had high self-esteem. They just wanted to beat people up. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's trying to apply a very low-level pop psychology yeah. to a very nuanced situation. And the reason it's ironic is because it's in California, which is one of the um, uh, the biggest states most heavily pushing a lot of the stuff we're talking about and using bully tactics. So yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> They're just going back and forth, trying all the progressive shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Water and books. Water and books. Yeah. Yeah. Water and books. I don't know. I don't know what else we can do, man. Exactly. Fuck. Well, shit, we're a couple hours in, aren't we? We are. Let's uh, close her up here and then. Uh... All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is episode 43 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. We hope you have a good rest of the morning, afternoon, or the evening. Peace. Take care, everybody. Peace.